Hello. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode. I appreciate you. In this one, I am joined by Andrea Habet, who is starting a brand new podcast, Straight Out of Belize, called Mara Baya, along with his co-host, Digna Ramirez, who unfortunately couldn't join us for this one, but who you will meet in their podcast. And I'm sure I will be having them back on mine. Look out for their podcast in the beginning of April. We did mention that it would be out March 22nd, but you know how it goes sometimes. So look out for it beginning of April. Uh, I'm really glad that you're here to listen to this conversation because I think this is one of the most important conversations that we should all be having everywhere in the world. I know that the world is experiencing a pandemic and a lot is going on and we're all very overwhelmed by a lot, but climate change and the climate crisis is also still happening and it's not a joke. And it's very easy to, to forget about it because when we don't actually see something deteriorating in front of our faces, it's just easy to continue to do what we do just the way that it applies to our bodies, the choices that we make with our lives and our habits they add up. They add up. And they eventually take their toll on us. And our last days on earth are long. And they're really hard. And they're really painful. And that's what's happening to the earth. When it comes to Belize specifically, there's a lot we're doing right. But there's a lot we're not. And, you know, have you ever thought to think about some of the things that we have been told, you know, and how long that how long ago that information was and how updated it is? You know, Andrea completely shatters my belief that Belize is doing such a stunning job. I swear, I think Belize 70 percent protected and we're good. We're doing the most. But you know what I also see all the time? is that our environment is being used and abused and that we have to constantly be telling our governments, no, no do that, no sell that, no make them do that, no put over the water structures, don't do this, don't do the other thing. We're constantly having that battle. For me to think that 70% is still protected and that still exists is very naive of me. There's some harsh realities we really need to face and accept whether we want to or not. I mean... I don't tell no do, but there are some harsh realities that I will face, that I have faced, regardless of if I want to or not. Because Belize is my home, and I don't have another. And no matter where I may end up in the world, that will never, ever change. I can move away. I can do whatever. But Belize will always be my home. And it's the only one that I really do have. It's like family. You just, you can't change that. And so I have to make many lifestyle changes from here on out. I've known this and, and I, I do do little things here and there. And sometimes it takes telling me a few times to really make the difference. And I'm not going to lose this momentum. I can't lose this momentum. I have to make these lifestyle changes because I don't have a plan B. Or in fact, I only have a plan B and that B is for Belize. 
just like you, whether you are from Belize or not, wherever in the world you're from, that's your home. Nothing can change that. You have to take care of it. The planet, we only have one. We don't have another one to go to. We have to do it. We have to make this work. We can't wait for our governments to tell us what to do or to make these decisions because systematically it's not even in their nature for things to work out for us. It's meant to work out for them. It's greed and it's power. Every government is set up that way. We voice our opinions to the government and on social media, but maybe we should just take that energy and redirect it into another direction to each other. What are we going to do? As it is falling, it's falling on deaf ears and it's a losing battle going to the government. We need a plan B and C and D and E and F. I'm saying we can't give up. None of us wants this to be true, but it is. We're all a part of this and we can all together be the change, but only together will we really do what we need to do to make it work. There are so many business opportunities as well that can, that can facilitate environmental change. You can do something that helps recycling and compost and, and growing more trees and, and things that facilitate what we need to see uh, to make it easier for people to make these decisions. There's a lot of money in this. People are, people are wanting to support more environmentally conscious businesses and environmentally friendly businesses. We are moving away from the things that harm our planets. So if success and money are a driving force for you, then direct your business plan and, and your goals to also, to also, you know, keep sustainability in mind and to center around it. And if it doesn't currently, then redirect it because your business is going to be obsolete as well at some point and it's coming. If you are doing some business that harms the environment and you know that, and this is all only about your money and your legacy, your legacy and your money, it's, it's, it's not going to be sustainable either because we're all making a choice to move away from that. And so whether you like it or not, you need to change too. And you might not think that this is not going to happen in your lifetime, but there's a huge chance that it will. And if it doesn't happen in your lifetime, it's going to happen in your kid's lifetime. And it, it, and then they'll have nothing. And then you have these businesses, like let's say cruise ships and anything that's geared around there and anything that depends on that. What are these people going to come see when there's nothing to see, when everything's destroyed? when everything has been flooded, when, when there's no clean air to breathe, when the air smells like shit, literally. Seriously, guys, your habits, your high, high lifestyle that you want can be achieved. Just think about the environment. Think about doing something that's not going to have to destroy just for it to become. It's not worth it. And, you know, there, there's just so much that Andrew really brings to the forefront here that shatters a lot of the things that I was just wanting to believe because I just want things to be easier for me and I just want to be happy. 
but I'm not going to be very happy when I can't breathe or I can't do any of these things. So I need to actually pay attention. We all do. And, you know, Belize thinks we're so lucky because, you know, Andrew says this too, Belize thinks we're so lucky. We've been spared from hurricanes for so long or any really serious catastrophic ones. Just last year, we were almost, we were almost on the receiving end of some really bad hurricanes that hit countries just south of us. One of those hit us and, and where would we be right now? Seriously? And on top of a pandemic and on top of an economic crisis? Our luck is running out. It really is, guys. And I really hope you guys listen closely to what Andra says here. And I hope that you follow and listen to their podcast. Because if we know better, then we can do better. So listen up and do your part. Um, I'm recording now. I'm officially recording. The reason why I just did it that way is because every time we hit the record button, it just kind of changes the mood in the room. And I feel like we always have a better conversation out of recording or when we're not recording. So I just, I just hit the record button, everyone. So welcome, Andre, to the Natasha Stewart podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe the energy changes now because we're assuming that people might listen to this and not just put it hits. Yeah, it's so true though. Like, okay, like pressure on when nobody actually cares as much as we think. Yeah. And, and, and all my friends understand that I'm a complete idiot. So the <laughs> uh, general public know that. Um, yeah. Exactly. Like why matter what people where you know even know think like and chances are you never hear about it. So yeah, I learned that from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Really <laughs> over that. Um, yeah, but thank you for having me. I've been a been a long time fan. Uh, it's it's been really interesting watching you um, make your podcast and how you're going about it and the guests you've been able to get. So it's uh, it's really nice to know. Be a guest myself. Yay! Um, well, thank you for um, saying yes. Um, I actually reached out to you before. And you were like, um, give me some time, you know, I'm working on something and I would like to be, you know, just a little bit more prepared. And now it's time we're here. Um, the reason or the thing that we were waiting for is for you to be ready to launch your podcast. Um, yeah. So that's very exciting. Um, you also did reach out to me um, just to connect and learn, um, you know, just from my experience and, um, I don't know if you gathered anything from me. Um, yeah, no, you were really helpful in a way that, uh, in a way that I think nobody else in Belize was really prepared at that time to to be able to talk about. So yeah, no, I think uh, I think you made me feel okay with uh, with like growing pains, you know, like with the with the learning curve of it, and it's like. Yeah, yeah, just jump into it. I think I'm <laughs> tired of like starting from the bottom because I just keep changing what I want to learn. So I just keep feeling like, man, I'm not good at anything. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with you. By the time you don't learn it, you're like, eh, I'm gonna go yeah. do something else. I, I, yeah, I can totally relate to that. Um, but Andre, can you tell us? Um, first of all, we'll start with. I'll just say. Hmm. How should we start? Should we introduce you or should we introduce the podcast first? Let's introduce you first okay. and sure. then we'll talk about the podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, my name is Andre. We already covered that part. Um, 
I have, I'm a writer, a teacher, um, climate change researcher, um, a very bad gardener who kills a lot of things. Um, and yeah, I, I, I've been in school for a very long time. I'm still technically in school, finishing my dissertation for my PhD in composition and cultural rhetoric wow. at Syracuse University. I teach at Galen University um, and I do freelance writing, mostly comics criticism. And um, I do editing at Syracuse University still. And I'm trying to write a dissertation, which is horrible and painful. And uh, anytime I've heard anyone complain about it, I just have complete empathy because it is, it's like, you know, most writing you do out of passion or you do out of like money. And <laughs> a dissertation is neither. You don't really, you know, you might have a passion for the subject, but a dissertation is a type of thing that nobody wants to write. Nobody's excited <laughs> to do it. Um, if you find me somebody who's excited to do it, they're, they're on something. Um, and give me some, because I want to finish mine. Um, first of all, I didn't even know how much you've done and that you are this far in your life. So I'm literally sitting here like jaw drop. What? Um, I'm pretty impressed. That's super cool, Andre. You're, um, can you tell us where in Belize you're from as well? Belize City. It's the only place in Belize I've ever lived. I'd like to live somewhere else, but uh, yeah, I can't, can't figure it out. I've thought about sitting down a couple of times, but man, it's just so damn hot there. <laughs> but it's a little bit cooler than Belize City, wouldn't you say? No, because, you know, at least here we have the sea breeze there. You have none of that. So like during the day there, it's just horrible. And especially after those floods last year, it's like, man, maybe something else is not the spot. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the podcast I'm doing, right? Like global warming. And so yeah. I, I think a lot about like, uh, where does it make sense to even try to live in Belize right now? Because Belize City is not it. Belize City, you know, you live in San Pedro and Island and I live in Belize City, a coastal space. And these are coastal communities that are all going to be facing um, immense like flooding in the next couple of years. I mean, we're already facing that right now. And um, I'm really just, uh, I'm struggling to figure out like, how do you make a future that makes sense that is real and not just like, I don't know, romantic. And I say that as somebody who thinks having a romantic point of view at times is very important because it sustains you. But um, What's yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately it's, uh, it's not something you can sustain and you can't like make romantic decisions in life and think you're gonna be okay, because that's just naive. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm no longer that naive, but uh, also not sorry. <laughs> Definitely. So, I mean, since we're already about to touch into it, um, can we just start with you just telling us the name of your podcast and then what you would like or what, what people can expect from your podcast? Totally. So uh, the podcast is called Marafaya. And it is a podcast looking at environmental issues in Belize, including climate change. Um, I didn't want to say only climate change because, um, or the climate crisis that people are now referring to it because of the, you know, the urgency with which we need to address it. Um, but it's a show that's looking at like what's occurring in various ecosystems in Belize. How are various like parties looking at these issues and how are they trying to address them? And how are we feeling the environment? How are we feeling Indigenous people, how is anti-Blackness affecting like environmental justice in Belize? You know, um, we think about the Port Loyola development, which is predominantly Creole, um, and the way in which the government is so negligent about thinking about the health of uh, people in the Port Loyola vicinity, 
because uh, they're not thinking about how detrimental uh, cruise ships would be to their health because of the uh, poisonous gases that they would be inhaling from all of the um, cruise ship uh, uh, fuels. So it's uh, it's it's uh, to me environmental justice is all is about looking at like humans and our environment and realizing that actually they're not separate. It's always in, together and enmeshed. Uh, that's a word I use a lot, uh, mm-hmm. but um, it is. It, 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 yeah, that's what I'm, and, and I'm invested in it because, because I, I think uh, a lot of people either care. I met a lot of people who care and wanna wanna and are doing things already, but are just so beaten down by how hard it is, or people who want to do something like this and just are trying to survive day by day, and really not have the energy or time to do this. Um, you know, this is a show that I've wanted to produce, I never wanted to host something like mm-hmm. this. I wanted, I was, I've been trying to convince other people to host it um, for, for like a year now um, and keep finding people and say, hey, like if you want to do something about, you know, the environment, I'd love to like help you. Um, and, you know, that doesn't usually go anywhere because again, same reasons, people just don't have the capacity. And, you know, I don't have a lot of things, but when, right now I do have capacity to do this and maybe it'll drain me, but maybe it'll also sustain me because it's, very debilitating to be as aware of where the environment is right now at present and um, and not feel completely debilitated by how horrible the circumstances are and the high probability that life on this planet will be unsustainable for people in Belize in the next 10 years. I mean, it's the stakes of that is so high. Wow. You just gave us all a lot to think about <laughs> and you just hit a lot of really major points. I mean, from climate change to being the change that you wish to see, um, all of those things I can really relate to. I mean, you are coming from an educated background on it. And so um, you'll be able to really paint that picture for us because even with the Port Loyola thing, like, you know, people might not realize how these things are connected. And if yeah. we kind of just are able to dissect those things um, and and just pinpoint every little thing and say, you know, this is what this does and this is what that'll do and this connects to this. Um, we don't realize how some of these decisions we make will impact the overall mm-hmm. good or bad of our environment. And, you know, Belize has always been um, below sea level. It's always been, you know, fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. now we're just in more of a situation. Granted, we have a lot of our landmass protected and, and we're doing, you know, I will say Belize is doing a lot um, as well to preserve a lot of things, but there are a lot of ways that we're being reckless and, um, naive or you know we just don't know better and I do think having conversations about things is one way to just get things started and I think a podcast is a great place to start which is why I wanted to do a podcast as well because if we talk about it the conversation opens and then we can deal with it hopefully yeah Yeah, so I mean right it's like it's a very you know, I just said a minute ago that I try not to let romantic decisions lead my life, but it is a hopeful thing in and of itself to be like, oh, I'll make this thing. And maybe if people just know, then they'll act differently. And actually, that's uh, a lot of climate change research looks at awareness not actually being the thing that prevents people from being able to take action. 
um, to some degree, you know, awareness is just the beginning of uh, be becoming involved in environmental justice. And uh, what you really need to become aware of is how your how your individual mm, lot in life is interconnected with everybody else's and the environment. I mean, <clears throat> you know, it's so funny that a lot of people see environmentalists as these people who like love the environment more than humans. And for me, that's that in many ways, you know, sometimes that is the case in the sense that I love the company of a lot of non-humans more than I like the company of most humans. Um, uh, but that's okay. I think that should be the case for everyone because most humans suck. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, in terms of company, you know, like I want everybody to be okay for the most part, but it's like, we don't have to hang out for me to want that for you. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm thinking of like, it, to me, caring about the environment is not in any way a selfless thing. It is very selfish. Uh, I want to survive and thrive, and I want that for the people I care about. And the way we get that is not, you know, capitalism teaches us that we have to compete and try to hoard resources uh, in order for us to have a good life. And, uh, you know, I'm an anti-capitalist politically. Um, and for me, that means that I am interested in developing a different society with everyone else in which you know collaboration is the center point of what guides us and in collaboration we can all have what we need um, you know some people will call it a communism or socialism um, i am interested in both of those uh, uh, but i i am also interested in what we have not yet done as a society on this planet yet, you know not really not at the scale of a nation um, so i'm i'm very much invested in seeing how we can disrupt patterns of behavior within our systems right now in order to make ones that will actually sustain us. And uh, and right now that issue is really on the docket, you know, everything with this page, page cut right now, you know, I, I follow it a lot on, on, on Facebook and it's really devastating to see how people are are talking about teachers and, and there's a lot of like right. anger there, but it's, it feels a lot of misdirected anger. People are directing anger towards teachers um, as if, uh, and, and the anger seems to be about the fact that they shouldn't complain because they still have while well, some people have none. Um, and then it's like, well, I mean, if that's the issue you have, then shouldn't you be upset with the, the, the politicians who've been able to secure immense wealth uh, from no actual dealings, but from like their, you know, theft, theft mm -hmm. and, and environmental destruction really, which is, mm -hmm. you know, connected highly with corruption. You know, you were talking about earlier about protected areas in Belize. And that's true on paper, but the sad thing is that a lot of protected areas have been, you know, raided by government interest. You know, there's been historically since, you know, Belize was found on, you know, uh, uh, taking land from from uh, indigenous people here. Yeah, so, right. so that, that started in that way. And it's only proceeded where there's always been new ways for um, those in power to destroy the environment through deforestation, through cattle ranching, through, um, through uh, you know, destroying ecosystems like mangroves, um, like beaches in order to secure wealth for themselves. Um, and so I'm also interested in making sure that Belizeans know that this is a pattern that's not new. This is sort of built into our settler colonial past as a country. Um, and we need to break away from that. We need to decolonialize Belize and find a way for us to acknowledge the deep racism, classism, and anti-indigenous attitudes in the country. 
Um, to me, that's what environmental justice is about. It's about the social aspect, the political aspect of it. Because um, I love, I love all these. You know, I love to see trees. I love to be amid mangrove. I love to watch the ocean. I don't like to be in it too much. I'm sort of like, you know, that's for them. It's, you know, I'm already, we we evolved past the sea, uh, in my personal opinion. Um, okay. You know, we, we didn't we 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 don't have the water world gills at the moment. So uh, we should you know, stay in our zone. <laughs> yeah, those I think we stay out of there for a bit. But I know I know you're a key gal, so like you know I'm you, kind of over here like mm. exactly. I know I know. I'm not gonna get twisted. I, I don't think it's a popular opinion. Yeah, um, you know I come from me. That's for sure. Okay. Um, but no, I feel like I went off on on a bit of a tangent there. I but... loved it. I loved everything you said. Can I can I just step away while you just keep on doing that? No, because then I'm going to run out of stuff to say for my <laughs> I, mean, I, I Oh, my God. I think I don't need to do my show now. <laughs> <laughs> you pretty much said everything we need to say. No, honestly, every single thing you even said can easily be a topic on its own. You know, from our history and our colonialist history and, you know, the racism, the, the, the classism, the poaching, the everything that you just said, you know, I've never actually had somebody tell me that like that. I also put a blinder on, I would say, mm -hmm. um, with, you know, the protected areas and all of that. And most of us have, I've yeah. never actually had somebody literally tell me what you just told me. So I've always gone along with that story, even though I see it every day on the news, I see it all the time on my Facebook, I see exactly what you're saying, but I'm not putting that definition to it. And so it doesn't mean that to me or something like that. Yeah. So you actually saying that to me literally just blew my mind in a sense, but it also is something that I know, I know that. Yeah, but we don't, we don't connect the individual instances with a systemic pattern of injustice. Um, and that's because those connections aren't being made for us. Um, right. Uh, and, you know, I have theories as to why, and I, I, I'm, I, you know, I say, I, 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 you know, I deliver my critiques to particular parties and people uh, uh, sometimes. Um, but what I'm most interested in is, um, is in how have we gotten to this point? And, you know, tourism plays a big part in that. Uh, tourism, you know, the tourist gaze, I don't know, I'm interested to know what you think about this, but, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest, most important classes I've ever taken in my life, I took way late in my life, like very sadly, um, when I was 26 and I started, um, no, yeah, 26 and I started um, my PhD program. I took a course uh, that was on by Linda Carty, who is from St. Kitts, I believe, Dr. Linda Carty, and it was all on uh, the sex trade tourism and the Caribbean. It was an amazing course and it was amazing for a lot of things, but one of the best things I learned from that course is the way in which we as somebody, as people living in the Caribbean in a tourist a dependent nation, how the tourist gaze, and by that the way, in by that I mean, for those who don't know, the way in which um, we are we are a lot we, we allow ourselves to be defined by tourists and what we think tourists want you know the same way how they talk about the male gaze and how the male gaze is what what men want from women and that that determines our, our perspective well in, in with the tourist gaze uh this relates to the environment in that tourists are taught taught to think of belize as the jewel right um and in that sense meaning like you know 
the, the sort of language we talk about Belize is, is very connected as well to, to misogyny and possession of women, right? Um, and there's a lot of like virginal, untouched, come to Belize, nobody touch her. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's very gross uh, because it, it's, it, and, but the thing is, we, we unconsciously come to believe that too, that Belize is the yeah. center of Belize, that yeah. Belize is a place that prioritizes protection. And you know, it was in that class, it wasn't an assigned reading, um, but I found this book that I think every Belizean should read. Um, and it's called A Trip Too Far. Um, yeah, I've, I, I don't, I always say the wrong name of this author. So I just looked it up to make sure I don't say it wrong. Rosaline Duffy. Um, and Rosaline Duffy, I believe she's Scottish. Um, and she came to Belize to sort of explore what ecotourism means and whether ecotourism, what, 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 how is ecotourism materialized? And her, her, you know, thesis of the book, you know, I hope I don't misspeak or misrepresent it, is essentially that most ecotourism in Belize it serve, functions solely as marketing. Um, that there's little distinction between spaces that market themselves as regular tourist spaces and ecotourist spaces. That when it came to protection of the environment, a lot of that stuff sort of falls away once it once the, the sales pitch has been completed, and then people go on these tours and they commit the same amount of trash. And this is all based on her study. You know, you should read the book. Um, it's very incredible in that way. And that book um, totally changed my life. It, I mean, it's it it sounds like hyperbole, but it it did. And uh, it was a huge depression I went into at that time in my life um, because I felt you know. As a Belizean, you know, there's so many things that I feel like a national identity, you know, the United States has spent so much money on their propaganda campaign to make people believe that the US is land of freedom, land of like opportunity. And Belize, maybe because we're a young country, maybe we don't have the money to invest in so much propaganda about what, or what our identity is. But to me, I was always like, Belize is so crappy in so many ways, but at least we care about the environment and we're protecting the environment. And for me, that, that was always a huge point of pride as a Belizean. Mm -hmm. And I think when I came to learn that this was not true, and then I started doing more research and I looked into rates of deforestation, which are huge in Belize. I mean, um, there was a, just a, an article released by um, University we were of Texas. essentially also founded on like logwood and mahogany and all of that as well, but. Yeah, yeah, so it just keeps happening. Um, and pe new people keep doing it. Um, and this book sort of just totally disrupted my life, threw me for a loop. And that was when I became more committed to changing my focus in my studies to the environment. Um, uh, because previously I was like studying comic books. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and uh, I made that transition, sort of transition because I still read about comics um, and actually get paid for it, which is like fantastic. Um, uh, yeah, and, and now I write about the environment for my academic work, but more importantly for organizing, um, trying to educate people in Belize in the ways I could, trying to educate my students at Galen about the environment in ways that make sense to me and, and are relevant to the courses I teach. Um, so this, uh, yeah, that, that course changed the complete trajectory of my life. I think a lot of how I see the world is very distinct from before that moment now. I think what I want in my life to be looks much different. But it's also because I realized that the life I wanted was sort of an illusion of capitalism, that it really didn't exist. And what was most desired was for me to want it so that I just complete, you know, focused on getting that. 
and I'm glad I I'm glad I changed my mind, you know, because I've been able to do so much else because I shifted gears. I no longer desired to be like a to work in the United States as a someone there. I wanted to come back to Belize eventually and um, do environmentally centered work here because in a lot of ways it's because my family is here and I, I and you know I a lot of the climate crisis also involves like it's it's highly tied to immigration. Um, it's highly tied to migration that's occurring right now. A lot of our comrades in you know rest of Central America and Honduras and Nicaragua, El Salvador, um, Guatemala, they're regularly migrating to the United States, trying to and facing extreme violence um, by the United States, by the United States empire. And it is to me really telling that in Belize, we don't really think about how that's our potential future too, where we get blasted by two or three hurricanes. That's not in the realm of possibility that happened last year uh, to, to our neighbor. And, you know, people in Belize think like, I don't know, it's, it's like, we've been very lucky and I think people forget within that look, like, hey, it is just luck and it does run out. And guess what? When, when we are in that moment where a lot of people in Belize are, are very poor, have very little, and if they get hit and they lose their house. One of that, no, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And then that's how you start like huge migration crises. And our government is not equipped. They're not thinking about these situations because it doesn't make them money. There's no way to make money off that. Um, and so they're not invested. They're not doing any sort of, you know, um, uh, comprehensive climate change action. Um, and that's with the fact that we just got a Ministry of Climate Change. And um, I have yet to see them discuss anything really um, that is uh, comprehensive, that is looking to mitigate and adapt release for that. Um, and it's really disappointing. Um, I'm not surprised, I really am not, uh, because I've been following this sort of policy around the environment in Belize uh, for years now. And, and when I saw that there was going to be a new Minister of Global Economy and Minister of Climate Change, the only thing I could think of is, I wonder how they're going to find a way to steal money through the creation of these. And that just speaks to the lack of confidence that the government as an entire entity has in Belizeans. And right now, to Belize, one of the big topics I want to talk about on the podcast, that's sort of my sort of obsession right now, is the port development projects uh, in the works in Belize and looking mm -hmm. at how those are looking to impact um, the lives of various communities. Um, I, I live on the other side of where most people in Port live, but I live, you know, for legal purposes, we're in the Port Lavella vicinity. Um, the development is two miles from where I'm sitting right now, where they're going to, where they want to build this cruise port. Um, it's going to lead to like a lot of uh, um, coastal depletion um, of, of the systems. Like, uh, like all of the animals sort of sit, exist in the space between the river and the, the sea. They're all just going to be screwed over. Um, uh, there's going to be tons of waste created by the cruise ships that there's no accounting for. There's not going to be any new infrastructure developed for that. Um, and so basically like what, I've, what I told my family, my extended family who live in this area as well to, to sort of try to get them to realize how serious it is like, listen, this place gets built. We are going to go outside and it's going to literally smell like shit because there's going to be tons of tourist shit, like just oh flowing into the water. And that's the truth. Like 
people, you know, and the government wants everybody to sort of like play nice and like allow the EIA process to go through like as, as it should, you know, and it's like a process is not inherently ethical just because it's an ethical process of right. accountability. And, you know, the way in which um, the EIA process is done is entirely corrupt um, in that there are the, the people who get to make decisions are all in the pocket of cabinet and the cabinet is all in the pocket of the prime minister. So how is there any real accountability when one man is making decisions that then trickle down the entire line and nobody can do anything else, otherwise they'll lose their job. And so, you know, that sort of intimidation and compliance makes everybody cowards um, in the system, including a lot of the members of the Department of the Environment. So it's sort of Orwellian, you know, when you look at the way in which our governments are set up with the ministries, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like in, in, in 1984, there's the Ministry of Truth and they do propaganda. On Belize, the Ministry of Climate Change is responsible for facilitating environmental destruction. The Ministry of Blue Economy is responsible for facilitating marine environment destruction. And that's how people need to start looking at these things. That's how they need to realize that these things are created in order to, in order to make money flow into fewer hands. Um, and that's all they are. Um, everything else is marketing, really. I mean, I look at Facebook a lot for different reasons, too much. Um, and I've started doing that again since coming back to Belize because that's where the discourse is happening a lot of the time. And one thing I really am noticing with so many of the Ministry of Facebook pages is that they function as marketing for the, that for the ministries in ways that seem like every single ministry is just an extension of the tourism ministry where they're all trying to show us this sort of beautiful Belize or becoming beautiful Belize, while at the same time, they're using the majority of the money not to do these projects, but to find ways to funnel it to themselves. And this is not a PUP attack. This is a, you know, people like the people saying Belize, a PUDP attack. This is something that is critiquing a two-party system that was based in a colonial government that in no way has tried to break away from this, uh, this colonial mindset. Um, they really just took the ball and picked it up and decided, you know, we're just gonna continue with this. In Belize, we don't really talk about like a policy in any sort of like uh, um, back and forth way in any sort of mm -hmm. complex way. Um, we don't, you know, in terms of environmental policy, when, whereas PUP and UDP, um, you know, PUP had some mentioning of environmental work but at no point did the media or any sort of uh, talking head politicos, at no point did anyone ever talk about, well, PUP said they want to do this to the environment and UDP said they want to do this to the environment. That never happened because both, you know, regardless of what PUP had in their thing, they both didn't prioritize it. They didn't care because they can't, they can't say that the environment is important in a real way because their only interests and the because they won't be able to take accountability when they're called out for it yeah yeah exactly um, but and you never warned me that you may me this like everything you're saying right now like even for a moment i had a moment where like tears welled up in my eyes because 
of even when you were talking about the trip too far or a trip too far book and like all of these things that you've said, like literally you're blowing my mind. I was not prepared to have this conversation. I'm so glad that we are. You have no idea how I'm sitting here. Just like so glad that you're telling me this. You're literally changing my life as I sit here. Um, I'm just floored um, in so many ways. And, and I love to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I love to believe that everything's good in the world. And I do kind of have a tendency to just myself um, close things off when I don't want to deal with issues at hand. Um, but there's just, there's just so much um, from a very foundational standpoint to like every other thing that roots out from that, that mm-hmm connects in so many ways you're just uncovering so freaking much right now I'm just like oh my god as I sit here I just um just well glad that you're even talking about all of this stuff but yeah yeah I mean it's it's very hard stuff to talk about I mean for me it, it I get overwhelmed regularly um uh, with, with a lot of sadness um and you know just the other day I was I was talking again with the port project with my mom and it's something that I bring up with her a lot because it's very important to me. And I just felt myself like starting to well up. And I was like, I was welling up because I just was so angry that, that we as the people who make this country are given so little participation in actually making the country. We're we're used as a tax base by government politicians and by wealthy people. We're used as a tax base. And then we're not giving anything. We're not given anything for it. Um, And it's it's really heinous. And the way in which uh, we're we're expected to take just more and more licks. I mean, the thing is, I love myself. And I think the government really sometimes drives us to a point where we can't do anything about our anger towards them. So we just internalize all that to ourselves. And we come to really despise ourselves for our limited self, for how little we feel capable of doing. And we use those things, those, you know, the jewel of mother nature's best kept secret, all of these things as ways to say that we are great. I do live in a great country. This is beautiful. It's a band-aid essentially on things to feel like everything's fine and to continue to feel like we have something to be proud of and that it is ours but in reality nothing's ours yeah it's it's like being on painkillers while you bleed out i mean you might not feel the pain but you're gonna die um and that's that's where i think uh i think i'm really i'm hoping that people sort of stir out of this days of thinking like hey like tourism was this thing you know I'll give you some history about tourism that a lot of people don't know. When Belize became independent in 1981, the PUP, the party who was ruling at the time, they were very much against tourism. Um, And the reason for that is because they thought it would get out of hand quick and that it would not be in the benefit of Belize. And the reason why Belize opened itself to tourism in the way it did was due to poverty. 
due to a lack of um, of of ink of foreign capital that was incoming into the country, and pressure from you know um, internationally international finance institutions for us to do that in order to create a a better a better economy. But the thing is. Tourism has largely led to, again, the flow of capital outside of Belize's borders. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say something else that happened as well in the beginning is that other people came here and started a lot of the businesses and hotels and whatever started out, which, you know, was another thing that contributed to that. People from somewhere else came here, saw business opportunity, saw money opportunity and used it. Yeah. And they just went ahead and... um and I think a lot of people are under the impression that there is a way that we can we can fix tourism and make it work as our main driver of society, but it just can't. I mean, I really had thought that the pandemic and the way in which it completely depleted tourism would make people realize, hey, like this sort of relies on a very complex system that we actually have little control over as a country. We you know, should. even. Even if police uh, did anything differently, if, if we had like no virus here, that you know that didn't do anything about changing other people's behavior. As we saw, like with the you know the early breakouts were cause of what tourists, <laughs> the new strain of the virus that break broke came from the UK. Who brought that? A British military <laughs> officer. <laughs> so it's like these these foreign interests that really don't don't have an investment in Belize coming here and disrupting lives in, in very major, major ways. And, you know, that's, I don't want to be xenophobic because there's a difference between being xenophobic, which is to hate people from other nations and to, and to recognize the ways in which um, people come here with a vested economic interests that does not regard the well-being of people living here already. And, I mean, and also reprioritizing um, where, what we prioritize, like, you know, just reprioritizing where tourism is on our priority list, because it's, you know, number one thing on our list. I mean, you're not saying, yeah, away with it, but it should probably be fourth or fifth on the list, sixth, (laughs) you know? And I mean, and it also, it's not just about finding ways to make income, but it's about like changing our whole political, like what we think are the political realities we need to run by. If the climate crisis is showing us anything as a society, is that all the rules we were working by for the past hundred years, for the most part, a lot of those rules that determine like how nations run are actually rules we need to change immediately and drastically. And um, what are those rules? Well, like there's systems of, of capitalism, of patriarchy, of white supremacy, these are all interconnected systems that we need to dismantle in order to create a more just society because each of these systems were created in order to oppress a particular group of people, mm-hmm. whether that was you know, black folks, whether that is women, uh, or whether that is people in the global south or the poor. You know? And this is all possible because you know, there's, um, there's a writer who I really admire from Australia called Caitlin Johnstone. And she talks about a lot that our battle of this time is a sort of psychic war. And I don't mean like psychic powers, but I mean psychic war in the sense that, or she says psi war. But in that right now, every day we wake up 
and we believe certain things about how things should be, that politicians make this amount of money, that um, we need to work six days a week, that, um, that we need to always be hustling. Um, and these are all just rules that have been prescribed to us by, by a society that does not care for our well-being. And we are the ones who make society. That's the thing. When I say society, I'm not saying somebody imposing it. We're imposing this on ourselves. And the thing is, we are not trusting ourselves and each other or that we can actually make something much better. And things in Belize and elsewhere can be much better if we realize, hey, these systems are not serving us. Let's fight for better ones because if we don't, then we will lose the little we have and it will get worse for us. It can always get worse. And that's what really the climate crisis has shown me. It's taught me to appreciate my life a lot more because that's the other thing, right? A lot of sadness comes from facing the climate crisis, but a lot of joy, gratitude for, for simple things, things that may become luxuries in the near future, things like eating good fruit or being able to go for a walk at a particular time of day and not feel like you're gonna die. Yeah, right. um, you know, things like going outside and smelling the air and the air not being polluted. These are all things that are worth fighting for because that's what life is. Life involves all of that. I mean, that's what leads to the health and, and everything and, and, you know, overall well-being of everybody. And I mean, even this, this virus is showing that to us in many ways. And it definitely was a way to show us you know, the little things that were super important. And um, I don't know, just you're, you're just saying so much to me. I'm like, whoa, you know, um, going back and like dissecting and going to the root of the problem of like systematic stuff, things that we think that are supposed to be the way that we're supposed to be. Again, you're saying we created that. And and to say like I can't make a difference or your difference, you you don't make a, you don't matter, is really silly to say when there are several people in the world who have broken molds and and changed entire things like slavery and and revolutions and stuff like that. There's so many people who who stood up and believed that they could be that change and. And I think for the most part, Belizeans tend to be very complacent and lazy. You said the whole thing about, oh, we feel like we have a hustle. Like, <laughs> I don't know if we're really those people. But like, you know, I just, I definitely feel like we also mentioned the thing about awareness might not do it, but there's so much stuff that I really am not aware of. I've just been almost brainwashed or whatever to feel like, I live in this jewel and I'm so proud of this. And I don't feel a need for change because I don't know any better until yeah. you sit here and you're telling me everything that you're telling me. And I myself, as much as I know about certain things, I've sat with two of my other friends who are climate change um, professionals as well. And they both opened my eyes very much to the realities of the climate crisis in the world. Um, but, you know, dissecting it in all of these little things and showing me and us, everybody listening, every 
every role that everything has to play from politics to poverty to racism and classism and everything. I mean, down to when you mentioned like um, patriarchy and stuff, like I think to myself, I've never had um, the thought that um, I couldn't do something because I was a woman or even racism. I never thought I couldn't do something because I was black because I've been raised by very strong black women in my life. So I've always felt like I could. So I never made that a reality for me. That was never a reality to me. And so I didn't have to that I didn't have as an obstacle for me, mm -hmm. um, thankfully, but it is an obstacle for me. And it is. For you. Yeah. And yeah. actually, I mean, it might yeah. be in ways that, but I also don't have that in my mind. So that's not something yeah. that is an obstacle for me. Yeah, um, yeah. But it actually is systematically not yes. set up for me. So yeah. I don't know. There's just a lot that you just uncovered and I'm, I'm super excited. Um, for your podcast i just want to give you mine be like here take the mic i'm gonna just step out <laughs> yeah well well the, the the great thing about the podcast is you know the co-host that i'm working with digna ramirez um uh she's someone who has also studied environment the environment while she was at galen and the thing i was going to tell you before the show that i said i should just tell you on the show is that Dina reminded me just last week that she was my student and I completely forgot that because I teach online so I never see people's faces. Okay. I never connect faces to names. Um, so so she was just like, yeah, I was telling her about how I was like working on some sort of some plan. And she said, you know, I told her, I was just telling her in my own nervous way, I was like, yeah, this is just how I do things when I teach. And she was like, yeah, you're a good teacher. And I was like, what? And she said, yeah, I was in your class. And I was like, ah. <laughs> so my former student is now my co-host and that makes me very excited uh Digna was a good student uh and, <laughs> now that uh, yeah, if I can recall yeah I can, <laughs> I, I, no no I I looked at the grid <laughs> <laughs> I went back with the grid book and yeah really um but uh she's really excited to work on the show with me you know I found out I found, I, she found out about me because I was just basically on Facebook saying again and again, who wants to host this with me? Because initially I was, like I said, trying to find another group of people to do it and then I would produce it. And then I was like, well, I'll do it, but I'll find somebody in another Central American country and then we'll do a regional podcast on Central America and climate change. And then that didn't work. So, and then I mm -hmm. said, well, I'll find a Belize and then. Mm -hmm. And then that just took like two months um, but Dina's already shown herself to be like really on top of things um, in terms of research and just her willingness to learn and for us to like learn from each other and talk back and forth about what are environmental concerns facing her community, which is, uh, you know, she lives in a village in Corozal and I live in Belize City. So, you know, we have intersecting environmental concerns, but also distinct ones um, that I hope mm -hmm. we can address over the course of the show. You know, we want to talk about things like the importance of, of, uh, of mangroves um, and the way in which they are still very popularly considered to be a impediment to um, quality beachfront real estate, you know, as mm -hmm. opposed to, hey, this, these plants are sort of making your beach be able to exist, like, because they prevent coastal erosion, because they provide nurseries. Mm -hmm. um, and these are things that I, as a kid, I was somebody who, I live around mangrove. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm living in the same place I lived at when I was a kid. And I hated mangrove when I was a kid because <laughs> of the mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but as, a, and as an adult now, I, I love them. I love them so much. And it is because I just had a complete absence of knowledge and teaching as a, as a child. Um, because my parents, you know, my mom's a very avid gardener. Uh, but she's not much of a she. She's not much of one to communicate about those things. No, mm-hmm. she and I can. She and I garden together now, and that's been really nice. But you kill all her plants, though, right? Well, uh, <laughs> you mentioned that you I, kill. Yeah, I, I kill <laughs> no, I was. I'm, I'm smiling because I was just. Uh, I was um, harvesting some aloe vera today to make an aloe vera kombucha, and my mom was like, "It'll kill that plant because you're taking too much." And I was like, "No, I'm taking just enough." <laughs> Um, but I, you know, you have to har- you have to prune. That's an important part of uh, tending to your plants. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody says differently, they they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I was literally just over at my neighbor's, like all up in her garden, um, because um, yeah, I was just in her garden and I loved it. There was an amazing tree in there, and um, she gave us one. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. You're just making me over here like want to go and study climate change. And I don't know. I really do hope that your podcast really does reach people and that people do listen. And I really feel like just based on what you said to me right now, it's also very interesting it's reality um, that we don't very much, we don't face at all. We all want the facade. We all want to believe that everything is good because it's just easier. We all want the easier route. I don't even know, you know, but. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it, it is hard. And I want to make sure that I provide other, like, you know, cause it's hard to be told a lot of facts about climate change and the environment. And then be expected to be like, no, deal with those emotions. Because mm-hmm. that was very hard for me. I mean, I lost a year to that sort of depression about this. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's something that needs to happen. It, it's hard to process certain emotions. Um, and it's an ongoing thing. You know, I still fall into like, you know, time, sometimes weeks like of, of depression based around this. Wow. Um, so um, there is like more research now coming around like, emotional resilience, emotional methodologies. Um, so one thing I do want to recommend to people is, um, is a newsletter um, by a, an American writer who I really like. Um, and it's a newsletter called Generation Dread. And it's, um, it's a newsletter that if you look it up on Google, you'll find it. But it's all about finding, providing resources for people to emotionally cope with the climate crisis to develop resiliency. And, you know, in part, the podcast is, a, is one of my resilience methods, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because when you feel very debilitated, you have to realize that not everything is on you and you don't have to do much. You just have to do the one thing and do it much differently than everybody tells you to do. And for me, that's like art making. I mean, I see the podcast as a form of artwork in the same way that filmmaking and writing, you know, uh, movies has, are, are also like, for me, I'm making these things and I'm trying to make them in a way 
that reflect a distinct worldview, not distinct for its own sake, but distinct in terms of, I feel like my brain has been very able to benefit from becoming very chaotic in that, you know, I've, I, I grew up loving superheroes and comics, and then I love poetry and I love movies. And, you know, and now I love this environmental work and I just keep growing in what I love and my intensity for the things I love because it keeps, it sustains me, right? It sustains me amid all this, amid life. Um, and I, I, I'm just excited to like put all my love into work that I hope can sustain other people. And, you know, it's not always gonna be hopeful, the work I wanna make, um, but it is going to be, I hope the goal is to convey a worldview that says we need to fight for something different because as it is, this is what we're faced with. And um, why not? I mean, why not? Life is a struggle no matter the way you take it. So why not allow ourselves to struggle collectively together for a better future for everyone as opposed to struggle each one panay on to try to get a little bit. Things can be different tomorrow. And I really believe that. That's what keeps me going more than anything else. That and a really good martini. <laughs> um, and uh, walks, yeah. Yeah, I love walks too. I mean, um, some, like, you know, I really do, like one of the things that I try to remind myself of is that I want to, to leave the world a better place. Sometimes when I think to myself, what, why am I doing why do I do the things that I do? I've always sort of taken an outward way of coping with my own stuff as well. It might not have been an environmental um, depression per se, but my own um, depressions and such. So I did a blog at one point where I just like outletted whatever I was doing because I felt like people will be able to relate and then feel not alone because sometimes we feel so alone and then somewhere in that it helps me cope to know that I'm helping someone and I think a part of what we're meant to do here is to be of service to each other or to collaborate or to work together um, and so I feel like that's like a way that we do work together is if we share our experiences and we let each other know that we're not alone in the things that we do and so just like you, where you couldn't find somebody to do your podcast or anything, and then you had to do it. I wanted a podcast to exist like the one that I'm doing. I never thought I was going to be the best. I never thought I was going to be great at it, but I wanted it to exist. And so I had to make it exist. Yeah. And somebody will come along and they'll be better. And that's fine by me but I just really needed it to exist when, when it happened. And so these conversations that I have with people like you are the things that really help me. And so if I can pro provide or make this platform, because my idea was to literally call people that are doing the things that they love and have those conversations and ask them all the questions that I wanted. I mean, I was like, what about the people who also want that, but aren't brave enough to do it or won't ever do it? What if I just do this in front of people? So then I started doing it on Instagram lives. Then I was like, this isn't enough. It needs to be on a better platform. I need other people to hear this. Not everybody that find Instagram, you know, I just did live. If you miss it, you'll miss it. Like whatever, you know, I needed it to be somewhere better. So 
podcast came in. I listened to a lot of podcasts and stuff. So, you know, that's why I, 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 I chose to do this and a conversation like this is like, this just gives me, this just makes me feel like, all right, I'm done here. We're good. Like I came, I saw, I conquered, I did what I came here to do. Um, I already left the world a better place just from you sharing everything that you just shared. And, and with all of my guests, all of my guests have made my life better just from our conversation. I have changed tremendous, tremendously after every conversation. I don't know who I'm going to be after this one and how much guilt I'm going to have for everything that I do or don't do. Um, but I just, I really appreciate that you're doing this. I can totally relate to you and feel the reason for it being a depression coping mechanism. Even Kristen, like she's been doing her, um, her, um, her degree in climate change and stuff. And she also said she fell into very deep depression after finding out everything she did. So, you know, and I was just also sitting there jaw drop, you know, I just don't know better. I don't know these things. And until we know better, we can do better. And so doing the podcast will teach people things and then they'll know better in order for us to do better. And, and we don't have to do these things alone. Other people will feel passionate about it also maybe not everyone but we can definitely get more people on board here um you don't have to fight this battle by yourself and um none of us do and there are other people who would like to know and if we just knew what you know then we'll know what we're fighting for yeah and and i'm also excited to for the podcast to learn a lot more from other people i'm i'm excited to learn more because, you know, I, I'm, I, I've always been a humanities sort of scholar. So everything I've learned about biology and ecology, that's all been self-taught. Um, so there's a lot of things I really don't know that, um, that I'm excited to get a better person account about. Um, I'm excited to, you know, basically have the show hopefully become a space where people can have these conversations. Um, because uh, the people in my life right now are tired of having them with me. So I need to find <laughs> More interested in that uh, uh, and I'm yeah I just really want people to know that they that they shouldn't feel individually guilty like you were saying you don't know if you're gonna feel guilt I don't think that's on you like that like you know you're gonna feel what you want to feel and I can't control that but I don't think any individual of your position or most people's position in the world you know you know when they say the 99 percent that is true the 99%, you know, individually, we are not guilty for what we've done because our ignorance has been by design. You know, um, global warming has been a phenomenon that has been known uh, for more than 30 years now. And it was the severity of it and the outcomes it would lead to right now were known from that time. And they were just squashed by, you know, the US empire, you know, it would, there, there are documents that show this. Um, and it was actually like from the late 1800s that a woman, an American woman, whose name I can't remember right now, and I'm, I hate myself for it, um, but she was the one who found out that a greater percentage of carbon within air uh, leads to increased heat. So that was already known as a, as a scientific theory from the late 19th century. And so we've had so much time to uh, to get this together, um, but we've but because of the fossil fuel industry, because of capitalism, 
we've been kept ignorant. I know it's on us to to teach ourselves, to teach each other, so that we could take each other into a better future. That's the only option for a survivable future. If we want to live in a future where we get to continue to be in Belize and that life is not one of misery in which our days are just counting down to the next blackout, which is going to increasingly happen, and or, or um, living around depleted, destroyed environments, we have to fight. Um, it's, it's the only option. Um, and that doesn't mean we literally fight. That means we organize together and we find a way to turn the tide on who is, who is being centered at the, as the people who benefit from the state of Belize. Right. I mean, again, just a lot said, but yeah, definitely. I mean, again, but it also comes down to us knowing this. And so we just don't know it. A lot of us don't know it. I barely knew it. I mean, granted, I've had climate change talks and I'm very aware that the environment is at stake and there, it's, you know, it's a crisis, I'm aware. But realizing who to make accountable for it, what are the reasons that this is happening? Um, you know, what, how the system actually is set up to be working against us and that it completely does. We're here thinking that, oh, I'm voting for the individual and I'm voting for this and, and why I'm doing this. And, 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 you know, all of those things aren't, aren't really that there's, there are things, the blinders are on even, yeah, there's just so much lack of education in so many ways um, mm -hmm. worldwide, just because they're just telling you what they want you to know. A lot of things we have to seek out for ourselves to know differently. Yeah. Um, I mean, the entire like, you know, environmental impact assessment process, that's something that I've only become much more familiar with in the past year um, and gotten to know the intricacies and why it's failing. Yeah. Um, I, so, so I continue to be, my, my naivete and my ignorance continue to be exposed to me as I look into these topics. And there are a lot of like, you know, more experienced, uh, older conservationist activists, organizers, who have been really fundamental to helping me learn a lot more about what's been happening in Belize in, you know, in, in, in our history and in my absence while I was like away for 10 years, um, doing so much school that had nothing to do with Belize. And so now I'm having to learn everything about Belize um, because, you know, all this stuff I've, I learned in a US context, yes, I can transfer some of it, but the context of Belize is very unique. Um, and it requires, it, it deserves intensive study. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, yeah, I, I'm all about education. I really do think we need to change a lot of our education, both formally, but also just in terms of how we talk to each other in Belize. Oh yeah. In terms of how we resist talking about politics because it's assumed that politics means talking about political parties. And it's like, no, I wanna talk about the politics of how our lives are managed. Um, and I want to talk about that with other people because again, like I said, we make this Belize together. And if we can find a way to agree and to argue and debate and move towards a shared opinion, then we can move forward together. And then we'll know we can rely on each other. Right now, people don't want to rely on each other. Belizeans don't want to believe 
give teachers the benefit of the doubt right now broadly. Um, they assume that teachers are somehow gaining illicit benefits and I'm just like I mean they're already getting the bare minimum they already were the whole freaking time yeah and they're the ones also taking a huge hit from the homeschooling thing they really had to double up triple up you know like it's been really tough on teachers extremely and we need them for growth of you know everyone of your mind in every way in so many ways we definitely need teachers and I agree that all of these politicians are making a ridiculous amount of money that's unjustifiable like it it um you know it's unbalanced completely and then this is where you want to take it from I kind of sit there and even in this teachers thing I will say like I see it going on but again like I don't know enough. I, I see things in passing of on the news, um, passing around my house and people watching the news. And I see the teachers protesting and stuff like that. But I don't know where I stand in things. And I feel like a lot of Belizeans do that. They just, they know what's going on and they just don't form an opinion. They don't try to get to know more about it. I don't even I don't know what my opinion is in on so in in so many ways and I feel like a typical Belizean or a typical person I, I hate when I do that too when I'm just like Belizeans or this or that the world in general I feel does this but like I definitely I definitely don't let myself know too much about a lot of things sometimes even with this teacher thing because a part of me knows how attached I get to things that I purposefully don't and so I know that I'd get really passionate about this thing something like that would make me very passionate that I just don't get attached to anything I've just somewhere along the lines taught myself not to do that and now this is happening I'm starting to build a platform what is my reason it's to create better change so I need to be more aware but I'm scared of the depression I'm gonna have so I don't indulge too much in news or anything I try to like I'll I'll block out certain Facebook pages and different things because I don't want to know too much because I know how attached I'm gonna be and then how depressed I'm gonna be so then I don't do it and then now I'm uninformed Uh, yeah yeah it's it's a tricky you're either ignorant or you're sad (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah 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 i i don't like i don't know i i I mean that's just that's just it you're just ignorant or sad ignorance is bliss right yeah yeah but i think what's better than ignorance or sadness is realizing that you can individually contribute to collective work and really that 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 in and of itself is huge um you know i've been really impressed by people in your area san pedro who have been who have seemed to be very diligent in this absence of tourism to clean up san pedro Mm -hmm. Uh, and to me that is very hopeful work and i've spoken to the few a few of the people involved in that and they seem to just be doing that because they care because they feel an investment in their home and they want to um, make that home reflective of what they feel it is, which is a place they love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that to me is a very hopeful act. And, you know, when we talk about change, it's like, 
that's a part of that too. It's like realizing that, you know, we can't, we don't have to rely on government to do these things because that's our usual response, but we can go ahead and do these things and show the government that actually we, to some degree, know we, we're the ones making this country work and we will make it work whether or not they are a part of it. And mm -hmm. if they make themselves obsolete, then that just means they're out of a job. So that means we <laughs> have no money for ourselves. I mean, yeah. all good points, definitely, I agree. Um, I wanted to ask you just in thinking about that and like we do do a lot of um, beach cleanups and stuff. What would you say are some things that we can do instantaneously that can be positive to the environment or not do? Well, I mean, one of the one of the things that I think people should all try to do is really just think about your consumption habits. And this is not to make anyone feel guilty, but it's more, it can be very helpful um, for people to realize like, what are they prioritizing in terms of things that they need or want? And it for me, it's largely because of waste disposal and police. And the fact that I've come to, in my life now, believe, I see most things when I buy, I see them not as they are when I buy them, but I think about their, I think about their afterlife after me. Like, so that's all just to say like, when you buy something and you realize like this thing is going to go at some point in time to a landfill and it's going to poison land. To me, that really changes how you approach the cycles of, of purchasing when you start thinking like that. And when you also start connecting it to patterns of production. Now there's no ethical consumption under capitalism is what people often will say. You know, when you criticize people for saying like, oh, you shouldn't buy on Amazon because they're an evil like corporation. Um, but I do think it is worth for ourselves to realize, hey, like a lot of the things I'm buying, a lot of that is to feel, to fill something that the thing is not even going to meet. It's only the purchase of thing of the thing that's going to meet it. And, and I'm not saying anything revelatory, but I think I'm just trying to not be too overly prescriptive um, in terms of what I tell people to do. I do, and also because I never know what organizations I can really trust. So I try to be careful about which ones I say are worth people's time. I will say that an organization I really value personally is Yashia Conservation Trust, um, who really center um, uh, indigenous communities in Southern Belize and have been amazing stewards of a lot of the forests in Southern Belize. Um, I've been able to visit these forests and look at some of the, and the concessions and they're doing amazing work. And in many ways they're doing work that outstrips the work that the government is doing in these ways. And I say that because they do that while they do it while also like they protect the forest while also creating jobs for people down there, while also creating livelihoods for people down there. What that center women, that center indigenous communities. I mean, it, it is really amazing. And, and, and they're also protecting the forest by training people in fire resiliency, um, by retraining people in different ways of farming. Um, so Yashia yeah, are people that every time I see them doing work, it's always something I'm really happy to see. And they can always use more financial support. Um, and that's one way you can help. Um, another way is to just 
Form in small groups in your local communities and determine what sort of ecological issues are facing your community and see who is responsible for it and how that can be changed. And a lot of this is hard to do in Belize because of a lack of accountability. You know, you, you, it's hard to get information from different ministries. And then on top of that, if you can't get it, the person you complain to is your ombudsman. And then you have to realize, you have to rely on the, on, uh, you have to hope that the ombudsman, ombudsperson is going to be reliable and actually do their job. And they rarely do. Yeah, and, but then I probably one of it in cousin anyways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then on top of that, if that doesn't work, then you have to go to a judge and then hope that the judge is going to be able to help you um, in the court system. And that might likely also not result in anything. So it really is, you have to figure out what you can manage on a small scale. Um, and just one thing that I heard a couple years ago that I really like is when you're organizing, you want to move at the pace of the relationships you're building through the organizing. So I used to be very much about rush, 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 rush. We have to do this, we have to do this, we have to do this now. But I really have come to change my mind and realize organizing is about organizing ourselves into a collective movement in one direction. And that is built by interpersonal relationships and trust that is, you know, trust that is deep takes a long time to build. Mm -hmm. And we need to allow ourselves the patience and grace to develop relationships at that pace, whatever that may be. And things might be going wrong, things might be horrible environmentally, but all these challenges will continue to exist. We can only approach them and continue to approach them and weather them with each other. So build healthy relationships, I guess is what I'm saying. That would be, you can, you can start that today. It won't finish today, but you can start at work today. Build the relationships you want to build with people who want to build a just society, a just world with you. Um, that to me is probably the best thing anyone can do. Yeah. And and learning more, there's a lot of information out there um, yeah. for all of us to look up. I mean, the internet is there at our fingertips at all times. I mean, once in a while, go and research, you know, different things about climate change, just become more aware of, of the impact different things make and try to teach yourself yep. different I mean, things. I, I have like a, I have a huge um, collection of research that, 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 that on, on a variety of topics. And, and I collect most of them really with the, with the hope of being able to provide that to people who, who want it. So um, I, I'm always here to be a, uh, to facilitate people being able to get more knowledge on these things and hopefully as we come to learn what people don't know about you know different topics i hope that then i can create resources that people can use you know teachers can use that parents can use with children because that's another thing right parents mm -hmm. just talk about these things for the kids you know and i say that because this was not something my parents spoke to me about um and i think that's what was a marker of class privilege we didn't really have to think about environmental justice because our area at the time was not faced by any sort of detrimental environmental pollution other than the fact that we lived close to the original Belicity sanitation center so we used to smell a lot of garbage at our house when I was a kid we don't anymore because they moved it up to highway but I, I remember that being a part of and that's that's environmental um, justice 
the way the the places that um, waste facilities are, are placed. Um, I mean, all good points. Again, like um, you mentioned that you, you know, have all this research. So, I mean, I guess this is a good time that we can um, let people know where to find you and then where to find your podcast. When is it coming out? All that good stuff. Yeah. So um, the podcast is Modify again. And we're on Facebook and on Twitter, both as Modifier. Modifier is spelled M-A-D-A, and Fire is spelled F-Y-A-H. Um, uh, I'll put that all in the description below. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and you can you can uh, find the podcast on Anchor and on Spotify, and it'll be released um, the week of March, whatever, the, what's next Monday? Next I have Monday. no idea. Uh, I think the week of March 20, 22nd, 22nd. Okay. So you're releasing your podcast on Mondays? Um, we'll see. We'll see if we make it. We'll, we'll, we'll see if we make it to the 20th. It's going to be the week of the 22nd. That's I may not tell you Mondays are mine. I'm kidding. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm kidding no whatever you know a lot of people don't even listen to it that day so it doesn't matter i just like to i think i suggest you release it on monday to be honest because it's the start of the week you give people like all week you know some people are still catching up on old podcasts that i had like you know you just listen to it whenever you have time but I think Monday is a good day. I, I, I did it Wednesdays at one point. Now I'm trying out Mondays. I'm still very much learning and I'm still very green in this podcast thing, but I find Mondays work. So I'm going to let you have some room on Mondays if you want it. <laughs> That's so generous of you. Yeah, well, I mean, Andre, thank you so much for um, being here. Um, I wish Digna could have been here. I would have really liked to have met her, but I'm really excited to see her and he or hear from her um, on your podcast in the future and um, hopefully meet both of you someday in, in real life. Yeah. Um, I'm really proud of you for even thinking to do this and proud of you for everything that you've accomplished. I had no idea that, you know, you you are where you are in your life so you should be very proud of yourself um thank you yeah I, I, yeah it's just a lot of school <laughs> <laughs> that's um, a lot though that's that's really tough um yeah i mean i definitely like you know came i i couldn't do the school thing anymore um i i wanted to um but i just never found anything i was passionate enough about so i kind of just haven't done it yet again or again but maybe climate change is the thing I don't know um I'm still waiting for that to kind of click for me but I mean it might never and, and I'm fine with that as well but I mean yeah again you should really be proud of yourself I'm really 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 looking forward to your podcast um I want to say just like you doing um you know your podcast really almost centered around climate change um I, I'm, my next guest is going to be Dominique Norales, uh, or I don't know when the sequence of hers is coming out, but she's also very passionate about a lot of socio, um, sociological, I don't even know, but society um, uh, issues and crises and things like that. And um, she's very centered around that stuff. So I'm really proud to see all of these Belizeans that are, you know, going to school and learning the thing and coming back and being like almost a superhero <laughs> um yeah. too in your own way 
yeah yeah but but i mean there's so much like local knowledge here that is really undervalued by a lot of people including um, our prime minister <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> and that is that is something i never want to undermine is uh i learned a lot in particular disciplines during my time in formal education but also i had to unlearn a lot of what i learned in those systems mm-hmm. because i learned them within the heart of the us empire mm-hmm. and because they make so many assumptions as to like what should be the priority in the world and when you're getting your education in the united states the priority they are the priority they're the priority and capitalism and its maintenance are the priority so really while i was getting my formal education at the same time i had to be through friends and and some mentors i was getting like a alternative education on the side that actually to me is more important than the formal education i've received because mm-hmm. it is that alternative education that has allowed me to break away from particular things that i think even in belize we're conditioned to want you know mm-hmm. wanting I mean, it's a system world. again it's just the education is the system that lets you kind of file in line essentially and you have to think critically and just not take information for face value and a lot of us have done that a lot of us just take the information and we say this is true and then we believe it and then we believe that forever and then we tell our kids that and then we never know that there are things happening behind our backs because we're just told that 70% of Belize is protected and so that's what we run with yeah yeah I mean cuz it's it's it would be nice to believe that we're true. I would re- it would really be I would love that. Thank you for yeah. ruining that for me. Yeah. No, uh, thank you for bringing the reality to me. Um but yeah, I mean there was just so much that you said. Um your level of intelligence is very admirable. Um I am so jealous. Um but maybe not. Maybe my ignorance and my maybe like I'll just stay in my little bliss for just maybe tonight <laughs> and then I'll re-listen to this and be like oh no um but um I really admire intelligence and meeting very just people that have it all up there and um you're one of those so I was just I'm very amazed by you and um I'm really grateful that you shared what you shared on my podcast. I mean literally that's been essentially all I've said from my end. <laughs> Just like wow, okay. Um but yeah, again, thank you so much for um taking the time. I'm going to put I'm going to try to find everything all the recommendations that you said and put all that stuff in um my in my description. Yeah, it's it's I think it's really important that people start getting access to a lot of these sources. One of the things I like to do on Facebook is I like to find research papers that people are that news articles cite and then I just find the paper and I post it as a comment just because I'm just like we need people to be able to just have access to more information. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, I just like to push information out there. Like the easier a- you make it, the easier you make it, the more inclined they will be to do it. So, you just got to make it super easy for everyone and you know, where you make things just a click away and and it makes it just more possible <laughs> to to it. <laughs> that's that was it um or swipe or whatever i was on your facebook today cuz i was looking for 
information about your podcast and you definitely have so much in there of just like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, you're so, so jam-packed of information. And I tend to, again, like stray away from like, I'm just like, this is too much for me. I can't. Yeah. And like, but it's, it's a reality and it affects me and I have no plan B. I am only Belizean. This is the only home I have. And so I need this to work out um, for me and my children and whatever. So I need to be more aware of what's happening in my country because I don't have another plan. This is it. This is all I have. I'm Belizean 1000%. And and I need to be more aware and I need to do my part. So thank you so much, Andre, for being here. And well, thanks. thanks for letting me come on and talk about all this. I mean, it is really, it's rare, you know, it's rare. We don't really hear people outside of, and outside of specific venues that are about environment, outside of those, which are most often like meetings posted and by protests <laughs> or protests, you don't really, there's not really like these sort of chats that happen. So thank you for giving it attention um, on your show for not, you know, and one of the things that people will, you know, do is either be defensive and, or shut down. And it's like, I appreciate that you weren't out of those things because that's the only way we can actually talk about any of it is, you know, starting from a place of mutual trust, I guess, or a belief that we can, we do want the same things to some degree. Yeah, I think we ultimately do. It's just, I don't know a lot of the things you do, but I do know a little bit more now. And, um, and we'll keep talking. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, and then I'll just find out so much more on your podcast. Oh, something we didn't mention is the film that you're working on. Yes, um, I'm working on this film tentatively titled Samantha and Mavis and Jasmine and Ashley. Um, it's a movie about three of those women. Only three of them appear in the movie. I feel um, like you said four names, but okay. I did say, I did say four names, but one, but one of them doesn't appear in the movie. Um, she's involved in the story of the movie, but doesn't appear. Okay. Uh, but we, it's a movie that I co-wrote with um, Julissa Torres, um, and that is directed by Lester Lewis. Um, all of us are Belizean, and we are uh, currently doing, in the process of auditions, we're going to have a callback on Saturday, um, March 20th, uh, with some of the people who we're hoping to have in the movie. And then we're going to hopefully release it by this summer, um, and you can follow the production company, Breadfruit Productions. Breadfruit, uh, love it. Yeah, I love breadfruit. And it's, <laughs> also, it's related to global warming again because breadfruits are a super resilient, heat-resistant crop that will become more significant to the Caribbean diet as uh, rain, rains become uh, more infrequent and um, the temperatures increase. So to me, breadfruit is a crop that represents the future and represents a livable future. So that's why I chose that for the name of the company. And um, I'm hoping we can make movies that portray all facets of Belize. Um, so this first one is about three women going to a party and it's about what they get up to at the party um, in the bathroom when one of them gets a dress, gets a drink spilled on her dress. And this the movie starts from there. And uh, yeah, after that, I have an, an entirely different type of movie um, planned. And I have another movie that I already wrote that I hope we can do as well. 
um, in the next, you know, maybe in the next year we'll have three movies um, done, short films done. So that's my goal. I just, you know, that's the other thing, right? It's like, I just want to be making stuff while I can, while I have life in me and film and the podcast and writing. That's just all ways of like getting this, getting this energy into the world. Um, Cause if I don't do that with it, then I'll just do stupidness with it. I love it. And I, I mean, that's super amazing and super awesome. And um, first of all, I feel like when we do these things, we give ourselves some identity because we don't really have a place that's mirrored to us in a sense, or we, we, we have been having a lot more of it than ever for sure. But um, we have a lack of identity when we're only seeing Western, um, movies or not not literally western movies but like american movies or mexican movies are from everywhere else in the world but here so you know just to kind of have an identity and something to totally relate to um that'll be really nice because that creates culture as well which i love um if you ever need somebody to be in the background for whatever reason i'm really happy to do that um i uh just Definitely, I can be an extra or I can hold things up. Can you do that thing where you look like you're talking, but you're not really saying anything? (laughs) But I just don't want to be on camera. You can use the back of my head. I'm willing to do that. That's as far as I'll go. And then um, I'm very surprised that I even do like video chatting because I'm somebody who like literally hates it when somebody like video calls me or something. I've hated it forever. Um, but my, my want for what I wanted to do with the podcast was more and it superseded my ego and insecurities and everything. So, um, but, but the movie, you can use the back of my head or a hand or something. I'll do that. But um, <laughs> yeah, like some sort of abstract imagery. We, you'll, you'll be in something. Okay, because just because I really wanted to always be behind the scenes of filmmaking, I think I'm very amazed by filmmaking and um, music making and stuff like that. I always want to be in the room when people are like, yes, we got it. And like, I have, I really want to have that experience and to just see people create and see things come together and then actually see the finished product. Like I look at Game of Thrones and be like, how the hell did they do this? Um, So um, I really want to be, I, I, I just want to be able to like get a behind the scenes look. So if you guys ever need maybe an opinion on something, well, we'll get, we'll get I just a tribe part that is thing somehow. Yeah, we'll do something in San Pedro and you'll be the local consultant. Okay, cool. I'm going to be like, okay, you guys should film over there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We'll be like, all right. So <laughs> like, tell us about, you know, this <laughs> I have a golfer. I can drive some people from place to place. I, nice. I'm trying to make myself functional. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's that's useful. Yes, I know. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm just trying to give myself a very important job here. So anyways, that's very great, Andre. I'm really looking forward to every single thing that you have in store for us. Um, I'm looking forward to, to all of it. Um, so yeah, again, um, I'll probably cut out everything I said and just like jam up everything you said no 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 no. you should cut out half of what i say not because i don't agree with it anymore but because your your audience deserves uh it deserves like high quality stuff (laughs) you were high quality stuff i mean my my sound might be a little bit better but 
as far as that kind of went for me. Anyways, guys, I hope you guys enjoy this episode for yeah. at least we're very, you learned a lot on this episode. Every day we learn something new and hopefully it came from the Natasha Stewart podcast for you today. Um, so thank you all for all right. listening and thank you, Andre, for, for being here. You're welcome. Thank you all for listening. I really hope that you listened. I really hope that something in this podcast really sunk in for you. And if it didn't, you can always go back and listen to it again. And also check out my episode with, with Kristen Marin and also my episode with Brittany Maine. They're both really amazing women who are very involved, involved in climate change. And so I think you should give those a listen if you haven't already. And also, here are some ways that you can make the world a better place. Remember to reduce, reuse, and recycle. Conserve water and electricity. Just, you know, turn things off when you're not using them. If you're brushing your teeth and the water's running, turn it off. Don't take ridiculously long showers. You know, simple little things like this. Eat seasonally and locally and eat more plant-based. Cut down on meat and dairy. Be conscious of your consumption habits. Ask yourself, do I really need this? And where will this go after I'm done? Support environmentally friendly businesses. Drive a low carbon vehicle. See a lot of new businesses popping up. When it'll come up, donate a small percentage of your profits to conservation NGOs. And, you know, we all say, I'll think I'll do wrong at a drink. Well, we can also volunteer for something. We can, or we can grab a bag, pick up some trash. And another thing we can do is we can learn more about climate change. And then we can teach our friends and our family. Thank you all for listening to the Natasha Stewart Podcast.